Well, good morning and welcome again to church. All of you online, we're so glad you're with us. We had a really great weekend last weekend. Our online campus was bumping at our services. We had a few that were especially lots of people, and we're just thankful that you're joining us and being faithful there. I'd encourage you to consider checking out one of our physical locations. They're safe and socially distanced and a wonderful place to be and gather and actually see people. And uh, man, online was great. Our jail campus continues to have a great impact. I'm so grateful for so many of you who have found our church at the jail campus and uh, become a part of our community here um, at Hebron and Wheatfield. We're thankful for that. And then Wheatfield last week, you guys, I was so afraid. I was like, everybody's going to go to Hebron, and it's just going to be an oil painting here. What are we going to do? And uh, man, it was awesome. It was bumping, and I talked to our staff. So many of you guys stepped up to be a part of serving, to be a part of what's got, what God is doing here. I want to thank you for that. That's so cool. Um, we're still looking for a few more camera operators, which has become critical because we're not just here. We're also in Hebron. So um, we teach you how to do it, but we'd love to have people consider doing that. And uh, lastly, um, I just want to celebrate what God did at Hebron this last weekend. It was really special. It was cool to see a room full of people worshiping Jesus. And uh, this was just before the start of the service or right at the start of service. And uh, my favorite part about it was we saw at our very first experience there, um, practice church, uh, two people chose to follow Jesus as their leader and forgiver. And that's something I want to celebrate as a church. I think that's really cool at the Hebron location. And uh, I'm just so proud of our church for saying we want to do whatever it takes to see people far from God filled with life in Christ. And I think we sit in a world, in a country where we see um, the church struggling. And for us, it's not like, hey, we're going to sit here in our life groups and be comfortable with each other. We're going to roar at this and we're going to be a part of the solution. And we're going to put aside our preferences and we're going to reach people far from God. And we're going to give to it and we're going to serve and we're going to do everything we can. And uh, I just, I love being a part of a community that is willing to do anything short of sin to see people far from God filled with life. Christ. And uh, we're in this series called Warrior. And uh, this series is, um, man, it's one of my favorites. We're talking about having that warrior spirit. And uh, we did an overview in week one. Then last week, we talked about how to be a leader that people want to follow. And we said that you have to show people the purpose, the value, and the process, right? To be a leader, people want to follow. You got to go through those things. You got to say it, spray it, wheel it, deal it, and make them feel it. The problem is, what do you do about the fear? Right? And last week I left that out, but what do you do as a leader when you feel afraid? And I think that's really common. I know some of you might think, oh, John never feels fear. He just gets up there and speaks. Like, fear is one of my closest emotions. Like, I struggle with fear a lot. And I want to talk about how to handle it. Um, what we know today is that, especially for our youngest generations, fear as an emotion is off the charts. It's the primary emotion that younger generations feel. And uh, I think that the church really struggles. <clears throat> with fear and understanding it because we take two words that Jesus said out of context. Jesus said, fear not. And we assume that all fear is then bad because Jesus said, fear not. But there's a greater context to that story and that statement I want to look at today. Jesus didn't teach us that all fear is bad. Andy Stanley about fear says, fear is a byproduct of our ability to gather knowledge and project that knowledge into the future. For example, I'm a little bit afraid of bees. You know why? I've been stung by bees, right? So I project that knowledge into the future and I'm careful around beehives so that I don't get stung, right? It's a good thing. It makes sense. And um, fear is something that's actually a part of our bodies. God created it within us. We have a system that God gave us called the limbic system, and uh, it's made up of a series of different organelles in the very center, in the very heart of our brain. 
And uh, it's critical to our human functioning. And today I want to talk about two organelles within the limbic system. I want to talk about the hippocampus, which is this green thing right here. And then there's this little almond-shaped deal right here. And there's actually two of them because your brain has two hemispheres. But this little almond-shaped blue thing is really critical. It's called the amygdala. The amygdala. And uh, the amygdala controls sense associations and, uh, and primarily fear. Some other things too, but primarily fear. So um, let's say that you always hear Katy Perry's song, Baby, I'm a Firework, and then you get shocked with electricity, okay? Not that that happens for some people, but sometimes that's what that song feels like to me. But besides the point, um, let's say that, that that's what happens for you. Um, every time then that you hear that song, your brain, even before you get shocked, is going to release fear hormones because it's preparing you. It associates danger and produces fear hormones for when danger is coming. That's how the amygdala works. It's critical to your survival. It's a big deal. Then the hippocampus is your lightning-fast reaction center. It's your fight-or-flight center. And um, people who are combat veterans, people who have tempers that are out of control, um, a lot of times have a hip, uh, hippocampus that is a little bit overactive, right? And um, that's because um, it's fight-or-flight, and it reacts before you even have time to think. And uh, both of these organelles help us process fear. Without this system, we would be in big trouble because we couldn't get excited about or even anticipate the future. Now, let me tell you an old story. An old story goes, there was a man driving a pickup truck in a rainstorm. Right? And in the back of his pickup truck, he had a coffin because he was going to deliver it to, you know, where's my funeral home or whatever. He's going to a funeral home to deliver it. It's raining. You know, he's going to deliver the coffin. And he sees a hitchhiker on the side of the road. Right? And uh, kids, you don't know about this, but back in the day, if you wanted to get a ride from somebody, you could just walk on the road and put up your thumb and someone would pick you up. Don't do it today, but that's what used to happen. Right? So um, I used to do it all the time before cell phones when my cars broke down all the time, but whatever. So um, anyway... He was picking up this hitchhiker, and he's like, hey, you look kind of dangerous, but you can get in the back. And the, the hitchhiker's like, no problem, beggars can't be choosers. I'll get in the back with the coffin, right? Hitchhiker's sitting there in the rain. He's like, it's cold, it's wet. I'm just going to get in the coffin because it'll be more comfortable there, whatever, right? So he gets in the coffin, closes the lid, falls asleep. In the meantime, the driver picks up two more hitchhikers, right? So they hop in the back of the truck, and, you know, the driver's going, rainstorm stops. Guy taking a nap in the coffin stretches out. He's like, oh, man, I'm going to get up. So wham, he opens up the top. The other two hitchhikers are like, it's a zombie apocalypse, right? Their hippocampus fires off. They jump out of the truck and they're on their way out. Their frontal cerebral cortex is like, we got to go to Netflix and queue up The Walking Dead. We got to learn how to deal with these walkers. It's, it's here. It's happening. It's now. You know, they're afraid. Now, one of two things is going to happen at this point. One of two things, okay? Number one, these men, the two hitchhikers that are afraid, will keep running, keep running. In which case, their amygdalas will create a permanent association between coffins and zombies, right? They will permanently say, dangerous. We got to get out of here because that's just what will happen. That's the amygdala loop. That's the or, or the other thing that will happen is they will investigate further, in which case they'll see the true source of their fear, and they'll have a great story to tell, and they'll laugh. The problem, you know, the second outcome is better. The problem with that second outcome is um, you got to do it afraid. You got to do it afraid, right? And uh, this is how you overcome bad signals from your limbic system. You got to do it afraid. And that's what warriors do. I think a lot of time people assume that real warriors are just brave. No, they're not brave. They just do it afraid. They face their fears and they do it afraid. That's what bravery is. It's not something that's natural. It's important to understand this story loop plays out for real in our lives all the time, right? If somebody has a fear of heights, which is mostly irrational, but every time you come across something that's high and you look down, you think, oh, I got to get away from the edge, right? Um, if you have a fear of heights that you continually never face, 
You're going to have an amygdala feedback loop where you associate heights and danger, even though heights really haven't been dangerous in your life. Because the amygdala thrives off of patterns and sensory association. To defeat it, you got to do it afraid. You got to do it afraid. You got to face your fears. And that's what warriors do. They're not fearless. They just do it afraid. Another one in the Midwest is a big one is a fear of spiders. It's like, guys, there's no poisonous spiders in the Midwest, right? We're not in Australia, okay? We don't have all these scary, crazy spiders. They're not dangerous. They're little. They're teeny. But all of us, not all of us, many of us are like, hey, it's a spider. Let's burn the house down. You know what I mean? Like it's over, right? It's like, wait, wait, stop, stop, stop. You got to face your fear. You got to do it afraid. You got to squish that thing, right? But for a lot of us, we just, if every time we run away, our amygdala begins to associate danger with spiders. And that compulsion of fear is going to get greater and greater as your amygdala tells your body to release more and more fear hormone. Now, the problem is uh, fear and our limbic system and these feedback loops have become crazy in a new way because of the modern era, because of social media, because of the news media. And uh, our species actually has the ability to adapt brain structures over generations, which is kind of remarkable. But it's a, a relatively, it's actually relatively fast, you know, speaking biologically, but it's relatively slow uh, as far as the rate of our culture change. And um, let me show you a picture that will demonstrate what I mean. This is up here in 2005, a picture of Christmas Eve services at the Vatican, right? And you'll see one little lady with a cell phone right here. This is a picture of Christmas Eve services just seven years later at the Vatican in 2013. And this just makes me want to jump off a cliff. Are you serious right now? Like, nobody's experiencing the service because we want to capture it so that other people can experience what we're experiencing that we're not actually experiencing, right? And um, here's the problem. Here's the problem is we post this to social media and everybody sees our manicured highlight reel of life, right? And they look at that and they think, wow, that is their normal. This is what their everyday is. Their, their Christmas Eve service at the Vatican 100% of the time. And what we think in our brains is, my life is inferior to theirs. My life doesn't compare to theirs, which is crazy because Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg all sit on toilets too. You know what I mean? And yet we develop this fear of people and it's silly, but we do. It's an inferiority complex. And what happens is every time we see people, we feel feelings of inadequacy, our amygdala begins to release hormones each time that we see people. If you've noticed, social anxiety disorder has increased exponentially within the last decade, and the reason is because of this right here. And it's crazy. It's an amygdala feedback loop. What happens is we have younger generations that are interacting with people less and less and less and less because of this fear and this feedback loop, right? It's a big problem. The news does this all the time. I don't know if you know this. The news no longer makes money by teaching and, and telling stories about the truth. They make money by um, keeping your eyeballs fixed to the TV screen. So they've begun to take advantage of your limbic system. It's fear all the time, right? And the news media knows that they can get into your brain using the limbic system because danger keeps you connected. If there's danger, I got to figure this out right now. So everything's dangerous. Speech is violence. Speech is dangerous, right? We used to have this thing, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Now speech is violence. I mean, if somebody says something you disagree with, that's dangerous. Nominating a committed Christian judge is dangerous, right? It's dangerous. Everything is dangerous. People who disagree with you is dangerous. What happens is our limbic system, because of the news media and social media, is in crisis mode almost 100% of the time. And the problem with this is living this way is miserable and it's exhausting, which is why, despite having relatively good lives, despite working fewer hours than almost any other point in American history, we feel drained all the time. It's the limbic system. Social media, phones, the news media, the rejections of Jesus' teachings have created a limbic system feedback loop that has resulted in unprecedented fear of things that are not really dangerous. And I think the big question that most of us have is how do we overcome this fear? 
How do we deal with this fear in our lives? And I'll tell you, we do it by overcoming a misfiring limbic system. It's what I want to talk about today. It's a simple message. And here's what I love about this message. It's 2,000 years before we understood the limbic system. Jesus teaches his disciples how to overcome a limbic system feedback loop almost perfectly. Almost, he, he wrote basically the neuropsychological textbook on overcoming a limbic system feedback loop. The Bible is just so remarkable. I love that Jesus' teachings are confirmed by sociological data. Jesus was and is right. And even if you're an atheist, I'm sure you'll find it remarkable and comforting to know that Jesus' teachings give us great insight into how to live with a high level of life satisfaction. It's kind of cool for me to look at the life of Jesus and recognize his ideals and ethics are the key to human peace, prosperity, and thriving as a society. I think it's remarkable. If you want to know how to break out of the limbic system fear cycle. If you want to learn how to harness this system for your good and God's glory, if you want to learn how to be a a brave, audacious, courageous person, you're going to want to tune into this message. Even if you're not a Christian, you're going to find the teachings of Jesus remarkable and applicable to your life. Now, as I said before, Jesus is misquoted all the time when it comes to fear, right? Regularly misquoted, we hear, you know, this fear not thing. Yet, fear and ultimately limbic system management were perhaps one of the bigger things that he taught with his disciples. He spent three years with them, teaching them how to overcome bad fear habits. And Jesus, if you don't know, had thousands of people that followed him um, in his church. I know sometimes I hear people bash megachurches, and we're not a megachurch. We're not like even near that size. And, um, but when I hear people bash them, I'm always like, dude, why are you bashing Jesus' church? He had like 15,000 people that would follow him. Of that group, he had a group of 50 to 100 that were sort of his inner circle of disciples. And then um, he had a group of 12 that he selected as his apostles, as his primary staff members. And uh, these guys are pumped to be selected. They're like, yeah, we get to be a part of Jesus' inner group. And uh, one day... He has a staff meeting with them. He pulls them all together, and uh, they're kind of excited. They're like, Jesus, what's going on? You know, teach us about this. This is going to be great. So they all get together, and Jesus says, okay, um, one thing I want to share with you guys now. It's going to be an inspiring leadership tip. I'm going to send you out like sheep among wolves. And they're like, what? Sheep among wolves? Okay. And a lot of us, you know, are probably like, oh, that's cool. I like wolves. I would like to have a wolf as a pet dog. And um, that's because you don't understand what wolves do, right? All of them knew what wolves do to sheep. It's like gruesome and terrible and they rip them apart and blood and guts and awful. And all the disciples are like, wait, like, so are we the sheep or are we the wolves? And he's like, oh, you're the sheep. He's like, well, uh, <laughs> Jesus, that's not good. He goes, no, don't worry. You're going to be whipped, persecuted for me, betrayed. Um, you're going to suffer immensely by following me. And they're like, okay, so that stinks. Um, can you tell us like anything encouraging? Yeah, fear not. Uh, Anything else? No, fear not. That's it. That's the end, right? And um, so we hear that passage as Christians, and we assume, okay, I guess, I mean, following Jesus is like this mind over matter thing. We just got to shut out that fear. We just got to like not think about it. We just got to fear not, I guess. We got to muscle through. We just got to have faith, right? Um, and, and, And the problem is that we read the Bible in these little snippets. We read that interaction with Jesus, and we assume that, okay, well, that's the end. That's the end of Jesus's fear teaching, but that's not it at all. Jesus spends literally the rest of his time with his disciples, teaching them how to manage their fear and their limbic system feedback loops. He tells them to have no fear, but then he takes them on a series of four field trips that are specifically designed to help them overcome fear in their life. And we're going to look at them today, these four field trips, because the Bible isn't one single story or not like a bunch of isolated stories. It's one larger story of the process of God redeeming the world of sin. Let's start with Matthew 8 and verse 23. It says, then Jesus got into the boat and he started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake. 
And if you've been to the Sea of Galilee, you know, what happens is the moisture develops off of the Mediterranean Sea, and then it blows in, and there's this big, you know, not mountain, but like a hill at the edge of the Sea of Galilee that produces, you know, big thunderclouds, and then they release over the Sea of Galilee unpredictably and very quickly, right? So this is common, but this one's fierce. It struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. It's not just a regular storm. It's severe. Their fishing vessel isn't really a fishing vessel like you think about. Think of it. Think of like a dugout canoe. Think of like a John boat with 12 dudes in it. You know what I mean? Like very, very precarious situation that they're in. It's raining sideways. They don't have buckets. They're bailing with their hands. They can't hear each other. If you've ever been on the water in a rainstorm, it's loud. And I like this part right here. This is, this is remarkable. It says, but Jesus was sleeping. Jesus was, and sometimes I'm like, is he really sleeping? Like, could he really be sleeping? And I guess, you know, sometimes when my wife is arguing with me and I'm falling asleep in bed, it's like, I pretend to be asleep because, you know, I don't want to, have you ever done that? I know you guys would never do that, but I haven't, Mark, you'd never do that, but I've done that, right? But anyway, Kristen, you're watching at Hebron High. I mean, I, I should probably take this out of the message right here, right now. But anyway, um, I, uh, I actually do know that when you preach, you get zonked, right? You get really tired. Two weeks ago, true story, I finished the message um, for the morning set and I went home and uh, I fell asleep on the couch and I was so out of it that my daughters built a pillow fort above my head while I was asleep and I woke up thinking I was in a new dimension. I was like, where am I? It's so dark. Help me, mom, Tom Cruise, I need you, right? But anyway, um, so verse 25, it says, the disciples went and woke him up shouting, Lord, save us, we're drowning. Jesus responded, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and the waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. I like the way um, that Mark tells the ending of the story. Mark was actually written by Peter because Peter couldn't read. And so he just dictated it to this guy named John Mark. But anyway, um, it says, the disciples were absolutely terrified. Jesus calms the storm. The disciples are terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Obey him. What is the moral of the story? Jesus is teaching them not to fear not. He's teaching them to fear the correct things. Don't fear the creation, fear the creator. He's not saying that fear is bad. He's saying fear of the wrong things is bad. And this is where Christians get it wrong. So often we assume Jesus says fear not and that's the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Jesus is reallocating where our fears go. And in order to do that, we can't just say, well, I'm gonna change what I fear. Okay? I'm going to fear God and, and whatever. No, no, no. You have to face your fears. You've got to rewire your limbic response. You've got to do it afraid so that you'll be able to fear the right things. And this is a big challenge for us. This is the call of God. This is what a warrior spirit is. And so often we look at these stories as isolated moments. You know, we think that's the end. Jesus says, you know, just fear not and it's all good. Um, but, but that's not how it ends. A few days later, Jesus is walking with the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. And um, he's like, hey guys, remember our field trip? And they're like, yeah. That was embarrassing. Yeah, remember the boat and y'all lost your minds and we're scared and crying for your moms and whatever. They're like, yeah, no, I mean, we remember. Jesus, that's cool. Thanks for, thanks for reminding us. He's like, yeah, yeah. And the best teachers, they let you think about it. They let you marinate for a little bit. They let you start to draw your own conclusions. And then at just the right time, they bring the conclusion, right? And that's what Jesus does in Matthew 10, 28. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God, not covid not a political outcome, okay? Not anything on this earth. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He had them do it afraid so that their amygdalas could learn to associate fear with the correct thing. And Jesus, for the win here, God created a fear center in our mind and he's not saying that we should like remove that fear center. But what we've done is we've allowed our fear center to create these associations and patterns with things that we really shouldn't fear in our life. I mean, we're all going to die. 
right? We're all gonna die. The reason why Jesus wants us to fear him is God is in control, not just of this life, but in control of eternity. We should fear not just creation, but the creator. And the only way to overcome our illegitimate fears is to face them and to do it afraid. That's what he's teaching us to do, right? He's taking them back to the fear. He's showing them that there's nothing to fear. He's telling them that God has a plan that is bigger than this life. And he says, remember, remember he's not saying that we're not gonna be harmed like sheep among wolves, right? Remember that statement? But he's saying in the midst of the storm, get a perspective on eternity in this life and live for what really matters most. Live for the one who controls eternity. So then Jesus takes them on another trip, right? Another field trip. Right? And what he's doing is he's systematically addressing all of their fears. He started off with their biggest fear, which is dying of exposure, dying in the wilderness. That's been a human fear for a long time. Because um, to rewire your limbic system, you can't just do it once. You've got to do it afraid over and over again. And each time you do something that you're afraid of, you'll be less afraid. And I love the genius of Jesus. Now, some of you might know the next fear story. Um, Jesus goes out into the wilderness with his whole church. They have a church picnic, okay? They go to Hampshire Gardens. It's super cool. Everybody's there. They're playing bags and everything. And Jesus teaches all day, okay? You get mad at me when I teach for 37 minutes. Jesus teaches all day long. Jesus tells his apostles after he's been teaching all day, he says, hey, um, we gotta feed the people. Now, I have a great staff team at this church. I mean, our staff team is so good. I love our staff. They would never do this. But Jesus' disciples forgot to bring the food, okay? They didn't make a plan. They had a big church picnic. And all of a sudden, they're like, ah, ah, Jesus, uh, we forgot the food. And he's like, we gotta find a way. And they're like, Jesus, I mean, look, uh, Tyson's is too far. We can't do it. You must be kidding. There's not enough food in the whole region. We can't feed them. They're afraid. And this is one of their primary fears in that day and age, starvation. Starvation, right? We don't face that fear very much because we're blessed beyond measure, but they face that fear. It's exposure and starvation. And Jesus is showing them something specific here. He's showing them that they don't have to fear a food shortage. Jesus is showing them their worst fears. And they're like our old hitchhiking friends right now, going back to inspect a coffin to see that there's no zombies there, right? That's what they're doing. And uh, they're retraining their amygdala to fear God the creator, not God's creation. You gotta do it afraid, fellas, so next time you'll be less afraid. Now, um, then Jesus, like any great teacher, is going back to a review process. God is Lord over the environment. He's Lord over food. And then he's gonna review. In Matthew 14, 22, it says, immediately after this, immediately after Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus insisted that the disciples get back in the boat to cross the other side of the lake. Now, the Greek word here that's translated insisted is anagosko. It means coerced or forced, right? Coerced or forced. They have to do it. And uh, I, love, I love that he had to do that, right? Because Jesus is like, hey guys, let's get back in the boat. And the disciples are like, Jesus, I mean, no, we're not gonna do it. He says, get in the boat, right? And they're like, no, no. Out of Glasgow, you get in the boat. You gotta do it. You gotta do it afraid. You gotta do it afraid, right? So they get in the boat. And this is the funny part to me. They force, he forced him to get in the boat. He's all like acting like he's about to get into. And then he's like, bon voyage, fellas. I'm not getting in. He sent all the other people home. They're all in the boat alone. And um, Jesus is such a great teacher. He's such a great psychologist. He reviews and he adds something. This is classic neuropsychology. He's, write, he's writing the textbook to overcome fear. Do it afraid so that you'll learn not to be afraid. And 2,000 years before we discovered this process, Jesus taught us this process. Now they're facing the fear next level without him. And he's already shown them that he is Lord of the wind and the waves. He's already shown them that he's Lord of the animals. He's already shown them that he's Lord of the food. He's in control of it all. This is a test. Fellas, do you trust me in all things? As the disciples suspected, which is why they had to get forced into the boat, they didn't want to get in the boat. Um, the text says that uh, they faced a storm. A storm did come along and they get in trouble. The Bible tells us that they're rowing at three in the morning. I don't know what time Jesus pushed them out, seven, eight o'clock. They've been on an ergo machine 
for like seven or eight hours. Have you ever been on a rowing machine at the gym? You know what I mean? You see those guys who did crew in college and they're on there and they're just like slaying it and they're making all the posters fall off the wall because that fan's going so fast and then you get on it and like 30 seconds later, you're like, I'm done, I'm done, it's over, right? Okay, they did it for hours. The disciples are different this time. They're not giving in to their fear. I mean, their amygdalas are firing off. Their hippocampuses are going crazy. Their limbic system is like, it's gonna be bad. But what are they doing? What are they doing? Okay, they're using their frontal cerebral cortex to remember what Jesus taught them, to remember their previous experience. They're doing it afraid. They're doing it afraid. They're not fearless. They're just doing it afraid. But then something crazy happens. And by crazy, I mean crazy, right? I mean, check this out, okay? It says, about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, a walk-in on the water. And uh, <laughs> that's, um, and this is where I lose some of you. Some of you are like, uh, pastor, uh, I love the teachings of Jesus because they have blessed human society. I think he's a great teacher. I just, uh, I don't believe in miracles, right? And I totally, I totally understand that. I come from uh, an atheist extended family and Buddhist extended family, and I get it. I get, I get that worry. But it's interesting to me that you would say that as we sit on a ball of lava covered in rock, floating on the lava, catapulting around a fusion ball of fire at 67,000 miles an hour, suspended in almost endlessly vast space in a universe that is impossibly finely tuned more precisely than any watch or piece of machinery that man has ever constructed by like more than a billion times right and you're sitting here in that miracle saying uh pastor I don't believe in miracles and it's like well you do you just don't believe in this miracle but um I'll talk about this one too this and many other passages are extremely embarrassing to the disciples I mean they are you know what I mean they're not this the disciples are not being great and um, there was no earthly gain for them to include these stories in the Bible. It was embarrassing for them. They were the early, early leaders of the church, but they included them. You know why? Because it actually happened. And this isn't something that they made up. This is a story of what happened with their life with Jesus. They experienced this, right? And um, ancient uh, 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 critics of ancient texts um, use something called the criterion of embarrassment to determine if a text is authentic and true. And many secular critics have actually become Christians after examining the Bible because they realize that despite the disciples being leaders in the early church, they elected to include these stories, right? And um, I will say that many textual critics and investigators say the apostles' corroborated eyewitness account is among the most authentic sounding and all that we have from all of antiquity. And I love that. Like, I think that's really cool. This is one of many different reasons why I follow Jesus. What is he doing here? He's reinforcing a limbic system feedback loop. He's, or he's breaking um, a limbic system feedback loop. And he's helping them remember to fear the creator, not the creation. It says, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And in their fear, they cried out, it's, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. He's reinforcing the lesson. Fear the creator, not the creation, right? That's a big lesson. And um, what comes after this is another story that I'm not gonna get into. It's the fourth and final story where Jesus feeds the 4,000, right? And it's almost exactly like the feeding of the 5,000. It's remarkably similar. But um, I want you to see this pattern in the Bible, and this is cool. There is the boat story, right? So calms the wind and the waves. Then there's the bread story. And then there's the boat story. And people assume these are the same, but they're actually different. And then there's the bread story. And people assume these are the same, but they're actually different. And the reason Jesus is doing this is this is how we get over our fears. We do it afraid over and over again. This whole greater story is textbook for limbic system management. 
As Jesus is bringing his disciples through this process of rewiring their amygdala responses by asking them to do it afraid, what he's doing is he's changing the way that they fear. This is what's required for us. You don't just do it afraid one time and you're over it. You don't just mind over matter it with your fears. You gotta do it afraid. Because here's the thing, and this is the ultimate conclusion, and if you only tune in for one little part, this is what I want you to get right here. Don't just say, I'm gonna fear not. You have to do it afraid so that you can't fear not. It's a process. It's a process in your life. You don't get skinny from good genetics. You eat right, and you work out, and you fight for it. You don't become an expert engineer because you're smart, right? You become an expert engineer because you study, and you work hard, and you experience, right? Smarts may play something to do with it, but, but it's more than that. And listen, you don't become fearless and brave by like mind over mattering it. You do it because you do it afraid so that you can eventually become a master at fearing not. It's a process in our life. What does this mean for you and I? I believe that you and I have to learn to do it afraid. You and I got to learn to rewire our amygdalas and our limbic system. We got to go back to the storm. We got to go back to the shortage. We got to go back to the coffin. We got to go back to the negative experience. We got to look into it. We got to see who is in control. We got to see where Jesus is in that moment. What Jesus is doing here is textbook neuropsychological fear management. And it's brilliant that 2,000 years later, we would discover exactly what Jesus had already shown us what to do. I want to ask you today, how many of you have missed out on something in your life that would have been great because of fear? I think the answer is a lot of us. Fear stopped us from a lot of things. Man, I almost didn't ask Kristen Walter on a date because of fear. Thank God I did. But fear has caused me to miss out on making friends and influencing people. Fear has caused me to miss out on trusting and forgiving. Fear has caused me to miss out on going out into public. Fear has caused me, and this is very tragic, it's caused me to miss out on enjoying my life. I have a great life. But sometimes my fear is out of control. Fear has stopped me many times from doing the work of God, for sure. It stopped me from sharing the gospel. It stopped me from living out God's mission for my life. It stopped me from reaching out to my neighbors and friends and family with the message of Jesus. In our society today, it's definitely stopped me from standing up for our faith. We live in cancel culture, and I'm gonna be honest, there's a lot of times where I'm just afraid to talk about the basic truths of Jesus that the church has believed for 2,000 years that have built this country, that have established this society. I'm afraid to talk about it sometimes. But Jesus says we gotta do it afraid. I'll tell you why. I think the big reason why is um, Jesus is showing us that, that we worship and serve our fears, right? We worship and serve our fears. So if, if you fear being broke, then you're gonna worship and serve money, right? And that's your God. And that's what you do. And all you do, you serve your money, you fear it, you serve it, you think about it all the time. Because fear directs your heart. If we fear dying, we worship and serve our health. And I know so many people who've missed out on being alive because they're afraid of dying, right? We worship and serve that fear all the time. This is why God says he wants us to fear him because we'll worship and serve him, which is why Jesus taught his disciples to fear him. And I wanna ask you, what is God calling you to do? Whatever it is, he's calling you to do it afraid. That's the warrior spirit. It's the heroic spirit of Christ. It's the call of God on our lives. It's not like, oh man, I'm just gonna be brave and I won't feel any fear as I do. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that Peter, and Paul and James and John all felt fear as they followed Jesus. They did. The Bible talks about it continually, but they did it afraid. And there's some of us today, God is calling you to do something afraid. I don't know what it is. It's a career choice, serving Jesus, loving your wife again, trusting somebody in your life again. Got to do it afraid. 
One of my favorite stories from antiquity. There was a great doctor. His name was Claudius Galenus, also known as Galen. He was the great doctor of the Roman Empire. He, and it's kind of crazy that this guy from nearly 2,000 years ago is one of the key um, sources of knowledge that we have on human anatomy. I mean, I think it's remarkable that like his work is blessing us today. But uh, he lived during the reign of Marcus Aurelius and Commodus, the last two great emperors of the Pax Romana, the golden age of the Roman Empire. And uh, at this time, Christians were being killed in the gladiatorial rings all the time. They were the most persecuted people group in the Roman Empire. And today, Christians continue to be the most persecuted people group in the world. If you want to march for something, if you want to stand up for something, you should stand up for Christians who are being slaughtered. Even if you're not one, the Holocaust that is happening to them is severe and it's evil. And if you want to do something great with your life, stand up for persecuted Christians. But, but Dr. Galen noticed that Christians um, were not afraid of dying. And as a doctor, I mean, their fearlessness was so remarkable to him, he posited that perhaps they were biologically different. He said, perhaps there is a new breed of human being. I mean, there is no reason, there is no way. We've never seen any other humans who are so brave in the face of danger. About them, he wrote, for fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. These Christians, like, we don't understand. He wanted to dissect their bodies. He wanted to understand why. But what we know, what everybody here knows, it's not that they were fearless. It's just they put their fears where it was supposed to be. They feared the creator instead of creation and they understood that we're all going to die in this life what matters is eternity I see Christians all the time say this saying and it's not true they say the absence of fear is the presence of God that's not true the Bible never said that Jesus never taught that what he did teach is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom these are radically different yet this is the call of God on our life when we look at the fears of this world we got to do it afraid we got to place our fears in Jesus and I want to ask you again what is God calling you to do today what are you missing out on with your life? If fear wasn't an issue in your life, what would you do? Don't miss out on a move of God because fear is in your life. If you wait for fear to be gone, you'll never do it. What you gotta do in your life is you gotta do it afraid. We have a hurting, broken world that needs Jesus. And if you have fear of reaching people, do it afraid. If you have fear of giving, do it afraid. If you have fear of standing up for what is right, do it afraid. If you have fear of standing up to some of the mean bullies in this world, and they are, I mean, the, the rhetoric is crazy. You gotta do it afraid and you do it with love. Are you afraid of forgiving? You gotta do it afraid. You afraid of doing a great work for the kingdom of God? You gotta do it afraid. And I just want you to know, like I, your pastor, I'm constantly afraid. Like I am, a lot of the choices we made, but I just keep saying, Jesus, I give you my fear. I'm doing it afraid and someday I'll be able to be fearless as we do this in heaven when I'm with you. But right now I'm doing it afraid. I trust you, I'm choosing to place my fears in you. Four questions as we close. And uh, listen, um, for, for, for your families, I'd encourage you to do this. Like fathers, husbands, mothers in the room, lead your families in this discussion. Like, please, uh, if you came with friends, have a discussion. If you came by yourself, journal it. Okay, my wife's not here with me, so I gotta journal it by myself after this message and I'll do that and I'll be lonely back there, but it'll be good, it'll be a good experience. Okay, so four things. Number one, what is one major opportunity that you missed because of fear? And I really like counting the cost in my life because sometimes it's easy just to let fear be there all the time, right? And it's like, whatever, it doesn't really cost me that much. But when I write out, these are the things that I've missed out on because of fear. All of a sudden I'm like, I, I wanna deal with this, right? Quantifying it. And fathers, I would love for you to share with your kids the actual fears that you have. And I want them to count the costs of allowing fear to be their master in life, right? Uh, number two, 
What is one area of your life that causes the biggest limbic fear response? And don't talk about spiders, right? I'm talking something else, something bigger than that. In your life, it's like, hey man, this is something that I do that I'm afraid of all the time, right? For kids, it might be like getting on the school bus. It might be going to school. It might be um, sitting in class. It might be sharing Jesus with a friend. But I want you to talk about, hey, this is something that I deal with. And what is one thing God is calling you to do? Afraid. I just want us to list it out. Like this is something I'm not regularly doing in my life. Like if I look at my life, and I look at the world, I recognize I'm not living out God's mission for my life. I talk about it all the time. I, you know, show up to church. But if I really think like, hey, am I reaching out to my friends and family with the gospel of Jesus? I'm not. Maybe God's calling you to do it afraid. You keep thinking, well, I don't know enough. I don't have the right words. If I went to seminary, I could never, I can't. Like, do it afraid, guys. Do it afraid. It's time. Lastly, how can you do it this week? I just want you to say, this is, this is what I can do this week. Like, this is something, this is one small step, one little bit. I'm gonna do it afraid over and over again. I'm gonna master this. I'm gonna place my fear in God. He's gonna do great things in and through me. Next week, I'm really excited about the message that we have. It's gonna be big. Um, I don't know if we can end the way that I want to because we're working with the Hebrew location, and, but it's gonna be big. It's gonna be great. Guys, we're gonna love it. You're not gonna wanna miss it. It's a big, powerful conclusion to this series. Um, as we close, I wanna ask you to stand. I'd like to pray for the church. Um, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Jesus. We give you our fears. We trust you. We believe that you are in all things, in control of all things. I thank you that even in the face of death, you give us a hope that is beyond it. And today we choose not to fear politics. We choose not to fear COVID. We choose not to fear the economy. We choose to place our fear in you, our trust in you, and our hope in you. I pray that as a church, you give us the courage to do it afraid, to do great things with a warrior spirit afraid. You're a good God. We love you. We give it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing one last song together.